Welcome, Startup West listeners. Charlie Gunningham here with another special bonus episode. Commercializing medical technology and science research is another potential area for exciting startup businesses. And here in West Australia, we're blessed with many medical business success stories. Recently, I got to interview a few of them on stage at the Science on the Swan conference. So what follows are some excerpts of my talks with Dr. Brendan Kennedy from Onco Res Medical, Joost Lesterhaus of Sarcoma Group, Donna Geddes, Associate Professor at WA, and Professor Steve Wilton, the Foundational Chair in Molecular Therapeutics at Murdoch University. Could you introduce yourself and what OncoRes Medical does? Sure. So, Brandon Kennedy, I'm a, a biomedical engineer in UWA and Perkins, as well as a CSO of OncoRes Medical. Oncorez is developing a handheld um, imaging tool that could be used during breast-conserving surgery after the surgeon has removed the tumour to help them um, confirm that they've got all of the cancer out. The problem that we're trying to address is that between 20 and 30% of breast-conserving surgery patients have to go back for a second surgery because currently the surgeon generally uses their eyesight or their finger to try and identify all of the cancer. So we want to try and make an impact in that. So during the surgery, they know whether they've got the cancer out. Is that right? That's what your That's what we aim does. to improve on, yeah. Because currently a lot of the medical imaging uh, or all of the medical imaging devices available to surgeons are performed preoperatively. Right. So they see the cancer at a much grosser scale and obviously the cancer moves during the surgery. So right. they don't have a good tool to localize cancer um, when, they're, when they're actually excising it. I'm fascinated by where the idea came from. Where did, so right back at the beginning, what, was that you? What, what was the start of that? Well, so I'm not from Australia. Um, I moved here in 2008. And I reckon you're from Ireland. <laughs> Would I be yes, right? Yes, that's correct. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, so when I moved here as a postdoc and um, started to look at the technology, it was actually much more in the first year or so from a technology point of view. So the technology or the imaging device itself um, measures the stiffness of tissue. So it was really just a, a, in the lab trying to figure that out. Now, as we started to get proof of concepts that were looking promising, we started to look um, at applications and so engaged with Christabel Saunders, the breast surgeon here in WA, and that kind of then a combination of, of myself and my colleagues doing research on the area and um, discussing with Christabel and pathologists as well. Mm. So what we, year are we talking about? Uh, well, I moved here in 2008, and yep. it was about, we did our first um, feasibility studies on excised breast tissue at the end of 2012. Right. And where were you doing this work? Um, so initially in, in the University of Western Australia. Right. So again, and which is a problem you'd seen, become aware of, been told? about something you wanted to solve or did you just stumble into it um, a little bit of all of those things so um, people had been developing kind of um, adjacent technologies for this um, for this um, application for a number of years but they weren't really successful they didn't have the contrast of tumor so we had that we had the the discussions with Christabel of course who was really pushing it from the surgeons kind of need point of view um, and then, yeah, and our own kind of background research and topics. So it was a little bit of a kind of a mix of all of those, I think. Okay. So what happened next? What, what, and was there a stage where you thought, wait a minute, I think we've got either a discovery here or we've got a product that's required here or did the need come first? I'm sort of interested in that yeah. right there. Well, I think maybe it's that training you get as an engineer. When I and, and I was initially an electronic engineer, so I moved to the biomedical space when I came here. So very much kind of trying to focus on solving problems. And um, so that was really the focus from from day one. It wasn't really I didn't know anything about commercialization or or um, tumor biology or anything like that. But it was really we identified and uh, confirmed by surgeons that that there was a problem that we needed to solve. So we've really just been focused on trying to solve that problem. So along that path about. Um, 
four or five years ago. Um, obviously, it, we, we'd, we'd started to protect um, some of the patents along the way, and that was really kind of, it seemed like a good thing to do. To be honest, there wasn't a really solid plan of what we were trying to achieve. But um, I was actually, I gave a talk at a conference um, a number of years ago, and a, a, a startup company in North America approached me wanting to license our technology. So that kind of got me thinking of commercialization and that maybe we had something that was um that was that was kind of a, a value um that we discussed licensing the technology to them it didn't really work out but that kind of then led to to uh the realization i suppose that commercializing the technology was really ultimately how it was going to get to patients so um that that's what led us to to, to this so i think i don't want to wade into a really controversial issue early but how did you get into patenting and how did that work with the university because there are yeah. often a lot of issues there well when we started to um the first three patent applications were were not with Ankara's. it was just the uwa um, right. itself okay. so i was really supported by the the people in the office of research enterprise in uwa along that process but it was very much a, a uwa thing so there was no real controversy at all there was really. no company at that stage no right no okay. yeah so yeah so sorry, when did that sorry, there was no no controversy. Good. No controversy. I'm happy with no controversy. When did the company then start? And we thought, right, we're going to commercialize this. And then there might have been some discussions around yeah. IP. And yeah. Well, really, I suppose um, what, what led me to, to patent, um, to try and patent some of the ideas before we were really aggressively pursuing a commercialization was that, and I think this is important from that kind of ecosystem point of view, is in the lab that I was based in, in, in UWA, there was another, um, again, adjacent project that was, um, that was being developed where the person driving that was very much um, into commercialization. That was Robert McLaughlin and the microscope and the needle. So that kind of, um, I was kind of um, seeing this and kind of thinking on, on the technology that became Ankara as maybe it was a good idea to protect stuff as well. And um, also I think it's important to note that um, the first three or four years of this project, it, it wasn't successful at all. It was hard work to try and just get the first feasibility um, results. And I mean, I, I was really enabled to do that as a postdoc by being part of a bigger, a bigger lab in UWA, the lab of David Sampson. So that, that really helped, I think. If we didn't have that kind of um, larger lab to help support the, the costs, it, it wouldn't have really got off the ground. And I think that's where a lot of projects um, um, find it challenging, is to, just to keep the funding going until you have the proof of concept that is attractive to VCs, for example. So is that why it took from 2008 to 2016 so eight years until Onco Res was founded? Yeah, well, I think broadly speaking, the first four years was just technical in the lab, just trying to figure out how we can uh, how we can measure the, the the stiffness of tissue at this microscopic scale. Um, the next four years were probably more about the clinical feasibility. So yeah, we at each stage we thought we'd done it. We thought we've got a technology that works in the lab, great. Then we went to the to the clinic in RPH, and then uh, Fiona Stanley Hospital, and realised it didn't work well in breast tissue. So then there was another number of years to get that to the point. And now, as the previous speaker indicated, when you get to commercialisation, you realise now you're at the starting line. So it's kind yes. of yeah. And the, the game really starts. Exactly. Exactly. So there was like a few steps forward, a few steps back as yeah, you're going along. Yeah. But to be honest, um, when when I describe this to people, sometimes they say, "Oh my God, you've been working on this for so long, and it's going to take so much longer to get out." But it's it's really exciting, and I feel very grateful to have the opportunity um, to try and take the the technology we're developing in an academic setting all the way through to patients. So uh, it's a very exciting journey, and the the, the problems are uh, honestly, and it sounds a bit cheesy, but that's the opportunity to innovate is when you have the problems, and that's invariably been the case. 
case that a couple of times we thought we'd, we'd reach technical or clinical hurdles that were insurmountable and that led to several of our key um, IP uh, patent and applications. Was this your sole focus for those eight years or you had a variety of different projects you were working on? Um, so the technology, the technology itself is a kind of a platform. The stiffness of tissue on a microscopic scale is, is something that's um, associated with most pathologies and there's applications in cell biology, cell mechanical properties, for example. But um, So I've kind of been broadly developing the technology um, applicable to those areas, but I chose um, to focus most of my efforts on the breast cancer application because it's such a hard um, effort to get any of these things up that I didn't want to spread myself too thin. So I kind of, I do have collaborations in other areas, but I'd say 80% of my focus is on the, um, the application in breast cancer. No. Presumably, if we can talk about commercialization, quite an important moment came when Dr. Kath Giles and uh, Brandon Capital got involved, yes? So that was about yeah. 2016? Uh, well, 2016 was when the, the, the company was deal formed. was done, but um, the discussion started a couple of years before right. that. Right, okay, <laughs> it took a while to get them over the line. Yeah. All right, yes. yeah. And, and then they invested, is that right? So that That's was that right. your first yeah. investment to try and commercialise this Yeah, so up until technology? that point, it had been a combination of ARC and NHMRC, National Breast Cancer Foundation, Cancer Council funding. So yeah, 2016 was the first external funding. And what was that like, talking to business people? Um, Communicating your idea from research to... I, I don't know. I mean, um, for me, it's just, they're just people, right? So, I mean, uh, really? <laughs> no, but I mean, um, one of the difficulties, I suppose, that you have to overcome is, again, from that more technical background is, first of all, talking to um, breast cancer surgeons and pathologists, etc. So, um, yeah, you just need, I think you just try and figure out what, what they want, what they, the level that they'll understand the description of the technology in this sense. So I, I didn't see it as any different, to be honest. It was just um, it was just a kind of, a, um, yeah, a, a conversation about what we're doing and, and if it was attractive to them and what we needed to do to show that. Well, I yeah. think Kath loved it, right? She, yeah. she loved it. I think she Kath, as a, as a medical doctor yeah. and someone who's used a lot of devices in her own uh, practice was very excited about, she could see the, um, the direction it could take, I think. So yeah, she, she was very... Um, um, very supportive from the start, and I think having someone on that side for, um, really uh, helping to drive the, um, you know, the pitches and and the, the 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 presentation of the value proposition was integral because I was very keen, but I didn't have a clue. So I really needed to be guided by by Kath in that regard. I think didn't have a clue on on commercialization. Right. Um, okay. So that's what they brought exactly. So yeah. uh, and that works well because Kath. Um, has more of a clue now about the technical side, but at the time maybe didn't. So it's that collaboration and kind of coming across enough into the other person's area of expertise that you can have a conversation about it, which which worked really well, I think. And also Sam South in UWA was integral to that as well in yep. the commercialization office. So the, the three of us worked really closely together to... Um, and what were you like at pitching and how did you get good at it? I don't know. I don't know if I'm good at it or not, but um, <laughs> I'm Irish, so I like talking, so maybe that helps. <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, so from the last couple of years, uh, from the in was that the first after the grants injection of capital, yeah. venture capital? Absolutely, they've yeah. put some money and they've done some follow-on, or what, what's been since then? Yeah, so there was um, there was um, the Series A, which was a, initially a four million commitment extendable right. to six million. So we're we're um, we're going to use that first six million in Series A, and we're we're in September going to launch the Series B round. Um, Officially, so um, we, we, from next year, hopefully, we'll have another injection of um, funding. And to what help sort us. of quantum would that be? Uh, we think about twelve to fifteen, 12, uh, 15 million right. dollars. Yeah. Um, 
what would that get you to? And when will we see these devices commercialized, do you think? It's already been an eight, nine year journey. Yep. So how many more years and, and where's the product at now? Yep. So we're, um, we've been doing, we've, we're coming out of proof of concept work, which means basically um, more academic um, re development of the product that isn't being done formally um, as a product. <laughs> so now we're working with a, with a company on the East Coast to, to, to take it through to an FDA submission at the end of next year. Um, so that would get us our first mar marketable product. Um, and after we get the approval, we, won't, um, we probably won't have too many sales of the device, but we'll use that as a stimulus to enter our pivotal clinical studies, which will be you know, about 18 months. So we're probably talking about another three to four years bef before hopefully bringing in um, revenue. But the underlying technology is working. You're happy with the results, the trials you've done so far? Yeah, we're, we're stoked with it, actually. Yeah, there was two main questions that Brandon um, and MRCF had at the, at the time of the investment. Was one, what's the... Um, the accuracy, so the sensitivity and specificity, and two, a lot of the, so we've engaged heavily with surgeons from the start, and they were really driven by a, a handheld device that they could use in the in the surgical cavity, yes. um, because a lot of technologies only work in the excised specimen, but um, like pathology, for example, but if, if you can identify the cancer cells with 100% accuracy on the microscopic scale on a specimen, relating that to where it came from in the cavity is another story, so that was the other problem, is how do we get this high resolution, very sensitive technique to work well in a handheld setting. Right. So in terms of accuracy, we got um, an accuracy of 96% in a study on 90 patients we completed at the end of last year. So that was, that was fantastic. And uh, we're, we've got our ethics in place to start um, the first in vivo studies in, in FSH in the end of this month, hopefully. So the, the handheld device works That sounds incredible. What, at the, without this product, how many people have to go back and do repeat surgery? And how many false positives and you know, issues are there where people are being um, they're having surgeries done that maybe they don't need or, yeah. you know, they, they, to go back and do a second surgery must be ghastly. Yeah, I mean, it's horrific. And I think, that it, as some of the questions indicated before, I think it's really important to engage patients uh, in this kind of development from the start. So we've mm -hmm. worked a lot with the National Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Council to um, take part in outreach events and have people come to the lab and talk to them about, about technology. So, so to hear people who've had to go through that and the, the kind of... Um, I think the, the hope it gives them as well and that like they really see the, the need for this type of technology because yeah it's about it depends on the studies and the jurisdiction but it's around 20 to 30 percent of patients that need to, go, to back. go repeat yeah exactly just finally um, last year you famously you and Kath went over to the UK because you won the pitch at the palace which is the Duke of York's pitching competition which is a global competition and uh, I went uh, to see the WA pitches and you and you got into the top there and you went over to pitch in Brisbane, I think. So you won the Australian one, and then you went to the global one in December, and you won the global one. So round of applause for that, I think. Yeah. Wow. Well. So disclaimer: tell us about that. I had nothing to do. That was uh, all Kath pitching. Um, well, so no, no, no. Reflected glory. So <laughs> Duke of York, St James's Palace, and you're in pajamas. Tell us the story. Okay. Yeah. That's Kath was very good at telling everybody that, that story. Yeah. Well, um, so what happened was that Kath rang me uh, one day and said, oh, there's this um, uh, pitch at the palace thing in, yep. in Perth. And I, and I said, we have to do this, 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 this. Yes. So um, she said, okay, well, I'll do the pitch. And then, but if we get to London, you're coming. So I went, that sounds good. So um, we only found, so I didn't actually take part in any events in, um, in, in Australia. 
But then we only found out, I think it was on a Thursday, um, and we had to be in the UK on the Monday. So yeah. we booked the, the flights at the last minute, and I had to wrap up some stuff here. So I planned it in, in all my wisdom to arrive in London um, a couple hours before the event started, thinking that the direct... A couple direct, of hours before yeah. the event started, okay. So thinking that a direct flight from, from Perth to London, what could go wrong? What could go wrong? And it was, it was around Christmas, so I think there was a lot of people going home, and I think, I think what happened was they took on more people, but they had to take off bags or something, and also there was a the um the, the plane had to be rerouted because um, right. of, of weather, so they had to take on more fuel as well. So anyway, at the, the heel of the hunt, we were an hour out from London, and um, they told us our bags wouldn't be there. Your bags wouldn't be there. So Excellent. we said, oh, no problem, we're in London, we go shopping, but the shops don't open at 7 o'clock in the morning, so... No. Uh, so yeah, luckily I had the Qantas pajamas and I had my suit because I carried that on. So, so uh, what you were wearing? You had Qantas pajamas. I, well, I had a suit, but I was wearing. I didn't have a shirt, so I wore the Qantas uh, pajamas top. Right. And I didn't have shoes either. So uh, no shoes either. No. So okay. I just had my kind of you know, comfortable. Who is this vagabond from Perth? What's yeah. going on? But it was there was another Australian company <laughs> in it, and uh, I didn't like. I'm quite tall, so my feet are quite big. Um, but then I saw that one of the guys from the other um, Australian company was um, as tall as me. So I had never met him. So I just kind of said, "Oh, hi, nice to meet you. Do you have spare?" <laughs> <laughs> so luckily he did, and uh, yeah, right. it worked out all right. And it didn't seem to bother you, because you went and won the blooming thing. So what was that like? And I hear they pulled a fast one on you, like 20 minutes before, they pulled two tricks on you, which I think was probably deliberate, just yeah. to put the cat amongst the pigeons. So what happened yeah, just so before they, the... They so you're at the, the St. James's Palace, right? So this is huge. It's a global pitching competition. So 43 countries... But again, again I was moral support. I mean, it was Kath who had okay. to deal with all this because she was doing the pitching. But yeah, they took the lectern away and they reduced it. I think it was from three to two minutes. So my main role was to kind of, um, you know, uh, support Kath oh, through that. <laughs> but she did an amazing job. So yeah, well, it was a great experience. It was really good. smashed it. We're very proud of you here in Perth. So well done. Can we please thank Brendan thank Kennedy on Corez. Thank you. Joost Lesterhaus, Senior Research Fellow, Immunotherapy from UWA. Can we welcome Joost? Well, can you tell us about yourself and what you're up to and what you're doing? Yeah, uh, I'm Joost Lesterhaus, a Research Fellow at uh, the University of Western Australia and Telephone Kids Institute. And um, I have a background as a medical oncologist and I turned over to the dark side of science about six, seven years ago, completely, and with a, a PhD in tumor immunology. And my experience in commercialization comes from working in cancer immunotherapy. So the main issue in cancer immunotherapy at the moment is that we have a few drugs that work fantastically well in some patients, but not in most, and in some cancer types, but not in most. And I try to identify drugs that actually can boost that immune response for those drugs. And I do that by identifying drug combinations. They can be novel drug combinations or they can be actually using old drugs that are used in other diseases that we repurpose for uh, cancer immunotherapy. So explain to me about immunotherapy then. So it's about boosting the immune system of the body so that it can fight cancers, is that right? That's correct. There are some breaks in our immune system that prevent it from uh, attacking ourselves. And um, that's uh, all very good in, uh, in, in under nor normal circumstances, but actually cancer cells sort of hijack that system. And by uh, giving 
uh, drugs that block those breaks, uh, you can actually uh -huh. unleash the immune system and, and, and get an, a, a good and effective immune response against cancer, again, in some patients. So you're getting the body to fight the cancer, that's, that's the solution, and then stopping those blocks, those breaks that, that are preventing the body from effect, uh, kick, kicking, killing the cancer cells, is that right? That's correct. Well, I should say that there are drug companies that are developing these drugs at the moment, and they yeah. are in the clinic, but they are not as effective as we want them to be, right. so I okay. identify drugs on top of that. Uh, to boost those, yes. gotcha. Now, I suspect you're from Holland. <laughs> That's correct. I couldn't be, I'm correct. Okay, yep. so Holland, what, according to UNICEF, has the happiest children in the world. So were you a really happy child, and did you want to grow up to be an inventor? <laughs> I guess I was a happy child. I'm not, I didn't want to be an inventor. I, I'm not entirely sure what I wanted to be. Uh, I, I've done med school at some stage, just uh, right. about a, a month before uh, it closed. I, I, I had sort of five, six things that I was thinking about, and, and it was actually some of the books of Oliver Sacks, perhaps you know him, uh, right. that, that made me decide to go into medicine in the end. Um, but during my medical training, uh, in the end, I, I went from neurology to, to oncology. Um, right. But that's, uh, that's, that's sort of how it went. So why that move? That's an interesting move. What was the motivation there to move across? Uh, well, I realize there are a lot of neuro, 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 neuro disease people in the audience. I, I just... Um, <laughs> I have it's to okay. be careful. Among friends. <laughs> They're all lovely. <laughs> no, I, well, I, I, it was particularly the therapeutic challenge that I right. thought in oncology was a, was a, a big one. Uh, there was a lot to be gained and um, a lot to be done. And I also found the scientific aspects of oncology very fascinating. Uh, and then particularly the, the, uh, the immunological side of it, how immune cells can actually really recognize cancer cells in such a specific way without attacking anything else, and how you can actually arm or use, use that system to, to fight cancer. Uh, yes. That was really what drove me. Uh, and what brought you to Perth? Uh, that was actually, um, so uh, I, I did my PhD and I, I finished my uh, clinical training, I was an oncologist and I got myself a uh, fellowship from the Dutch Cancer Society which I could take anywhere in, in the world and I uh -huh. had basically three uh, places in the world that I wanted to go to in terms of uh, some fantastic science. I was interested in combining chemotherapy and immunotherapy. Uh, one was Baltimore, the, the other one was Paris, and the third group that did some fantastic stuff in that, it was in Perth. Had you heard? Did you know where Perth was? Did you think Perth, Scotland? What were you thinking? Well, yeah, so well, what... You have to spin a globe and go, I, oh, it's I, No, I, I'm, it's very nice difficult to look back, but I think, um, so what, for, for us, my wife is a doctor uh, as well, so uh, and she doesn't speak French, so Paris fell off the table, uh, and, and we didn't think, and we had three small kids. Um, we didn't want to live in Baltimore, so that's why I looked up Perth, because I had never heard of it, I think. Yeah. Uh, People and don't, I, <laughs> but it's fine. Um, but I had heard of the science, actually. Right. And that's okay. what drove me to it. Good. And that's actually the, that's the, the right group answer. that got me here. Uh, and then I saw those beaches, uh, some photos on Google, Indeed. and I thought, well, uh, that sounds good. And I went here for uh, one and a half year, uh, and I really enjoyed being here. I really thought there was a fantastic uh, scientific community here. Uh, I really enjoyed working at, at UWA, in the group that I went to. I went back to the Netherlands, practiced as an oncologist uh, slash uh, researcher again, uh, but found that I couldn't do uh, either the way I wanted to, um, uh, and I thought I had to make a decision, uh, and I chose uh, research. And the other thing is that I really enjoyed living in Perth, and so did my, my wife and kids, and we, and kids? we came back. Yeah. Yep. So what year was that when you finally settled here? That's uh, six years ago. Now. Six years ago. Okay. So 
what have you discovered? And then go from there to a patent to commercialization. Can you take us down that journey? Yes. So it started uh, in the lab. Um, so what we are doing, what our sort of niche area is, uh, my niche area is, is the fact that uh, even uh, and this is mouse research, so even uh, genetically identical mice with genetically identical tumors, we still see this same phenomenon as what we see in, in patients. That is that some have these fantastic cures and others don't respond at all. Now, there, there can be some biology underlying that, but we use that to ask in a very uh, clean system what drugs can we identify to, to boost that response. So we identified a drug that's used in, in skin disease, uh, not in cancer, and, um, and we, we could dramatically increase the response rate. So we, we patented that. There was a provisional patent uh, about six years ago, and that then went to PCT stage, and then we almost arrived at national phase. And then uh, we had talked to about, well, it would be in particular, I'm looking here at Lewis Pimer, who was with the tech transfer office, probably with 30 companies. Uh, we start with the big companies and then uh, later on the, the, the small and, and mid-sized companies. And just before uh, we went international or had to go international phase and things got to get very expensive, we finally had a, uh, I think it was actually one week before, uh, we had uh, a company that uh, was interested and, uh, and, and we started collaborating with. So that's how you did it. You partnered with another company? That's correct. And, and put the IP into that company? Yes. And, so and it's an, an patents licensing. were assigned to that company? Yep. And then raising money? What was that like? Pitching, raising money? and, and So in this case, it's, it's a direct uh, deal with the company. So what All we're right. doing at the moment is um, we are doing contract research. We have uh, certain uh, income from, uh, from the licenses and we're developing a clinical trial that we want to uh, start uh, early next year, hopefully. That's what we're aiming for here in, in WA and hopefully in one or two other centers in, in Australia. So to really push this combination into, into uh, the clinic. And what are the results showing at the moment? How's, how's that all tracking along? Um, so in, in the lab, everything works fantastically. Yeah, um, mice, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's actually quite interesting. When you want to translate your laboratory findings into a clinical trial, there's a lot of questions that are not necessarily very um, interesting to journals, not very interesting to grant funding agencies. Things like dose, how often do you have to give it? Uh, how do you schedule things? Uh, actually, that's what we're at the moment doing that's really informing uh, the clinical trial design. Um, so that's that's where we're at at the moment, and we have optimized. Uh, we we have now optimized a uh, the drug that we want to use. We have optimized how much we need to give it, how often, and how because we're giving it on top of another drug, right? So how to schedule those those two different uh, types of drugs? So they tend to be sort of, I guess, boring questions from a scientific perspective, but they're absolutely crucial if you want to make that next step into the clinic. And how many other in your team? And then you've uh, and you've got Douglas Pharmaceuticals is yep. the company, yep. right? So yep. so uh, just tell us a little bit more about them, but also your team. Yeah. So they're a sort of a I guess you would call a mid-sized company of about 200 uh, employees. They're in, in New Zealand. They work particularly in, in skin disease uh, and in the generic space. Uh, and uh, my group is um, I guess uh, it's it's on this particular project. We work with uh, three persons who actually do the, the lab work, but the team itself actually is a lot bigger. So um, I'm a clinician. Uh, 
uh, uh, from, let's say, descent, but I haven't seen patients anymore in the last six years. So uh, I collaborate a lot uh, with clinicians. So Professor Anna Nowak and Professor Michael Milward, who are doing clinical trials, who are very well embedded in the entire uh, community and, and have a great network with the larger pharmaceutical companies. So that means that we actually, uh, together with, with doctors who don't have any experience in oncology, they also sort of get to um, get some, some feedback on, on the landscape in, in oncology, what the current trials are, uh, where the, uh, the needs are, and, and also input on, on trial design and how their drug could uh, work together with, uh, with, with the other uh, immunotherapies. Got it. I've got one last question. I suppose over the years you've been doing this, have you got any advice or things you've learnt or things you wish you'd known at the beginning that you now know for the audience? Well, a, a lot of things. I think I would do a lot, a lot of things different, but I think that's actually the, the, the main issue is uh, what I, I just really enjoyed it. Uh, I really enjoy uh, being involved in uh, um, not, not only commercialization, but actually translation, right? So to actually not just do stuff in the lab, and it's not my goal to cure cancer in mice, it's my goal to cure cancer in humans. So I think that's really where, um, where this, this could lead to. It's the only way, uh, well, not the only, but it's it's really important aspect of, of getting there. So I, my advice would be uh, just do it and get in. Just do it and enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Joost. Very nice. Thank you very much for coming up here today. Joost Leisterhaus. Uh, I'm now going to introduce Donna Geddes, who's the Associate Professor of Lactation Research, UWA. Can you give her a big welcome? Thank okay, you. could you introduce yourself and your research and what you're doing? Okay, so I'm Donna Geddes. I'm from the University of Western Australia. I was um, what's described as a late bloomer, so I've had a couple of careers before this one. Um, I was a radiographer. I was an ultrasonographer, Brendan. Um, and I wanted to extend and learn more and grow, so I went to the university uh, and accidentally did a PhD um, from a postgrad dip. And so I used uh, my skills to strengthen the research of Professor Peter Hartman's at the time. So ultrasound was a window into what was happening in lactation. So I say I got sucked in, and that's a pun. Oh, really, very bad pun. Uh, very bad. Really uh, <laughs> did, you know, really stimulate that curiosity. Um, so what we do in our program, we have a large group that works with industry and we work from a basic science view but we also do clinical trials because we work with mothers and babies uh, and we look at milk synthesis, A, how the milk is made, how it's released with milk ejection and then how do we get it out because if we don't get it out and feed it to our children, uh, and program them for better health outcomes, uh, then we're not doing our job. And that's where the translation comes in, Charlie. Okay, fantastic. Um, so where are you at with the discovery? Have you, have you made a discovery in this area, how to improve lactation in, in breastfeeding women? Yes, yes we have, and translated that into right. uh, industry and to mothers and babies. So the first project I worked in was looking at milk ejections, so visualising the milk ducts and the expansion and the movement of milk. And so I got uh, ensconced in a, a study that 
showed that we could stimulate that to happen really fast in a pump. Now, if you have to use a pump to pump your milk mm. out, it takes a long time, no one likes it, um, and there are many situations where mothers have to remove their milk. So A, we could make things much faster. We also looked at other patterns of vacuum to get the milk out. Uh, more milk in less time, it's a bit of a catchphrase. Uh, but certainly when you have baby, you don't have any time at all. So there's lots of pyjamas involved, Brendan. You never get out of them. Um, you're always feeding, but if you have to pump as well, it's incredibly time consuming uh, as well. So um, that was a discovery. And then I'm, I'm also known for going into the professor's office and saying, this doesn't look like it says in the textbooks. So the next thing we looked at was the baby removing the milk, and there's some controversy on how they do that. Uh, it was assumed women were like cows, and the baby stripped the milk out of the breasts when in fact they suck the milk out. They use vacuum, and that seems logical, right? Except when you try and convince the scientific community that's believed that for over 100 years. So uh, we teamed up, we measured a lot of things simultaneously, being the big thing, and proved that that's the primary mechanism. From then, uh, Medela, who we work with, developed two teats uh, to encourage babies that needed to be fed breast milk by the bottle to use similar kind of mechanisms that you use during breastfeeding. So you mentioned Medela, in mm -hmm. that company? That's so correct. a bit yeah. like Yoast, you've gone into a company that was already there, they're partnering with you, collaborating with you? That's yes? correct, that's correct. How um, did you find them, how does that work? Yeah, how does that work? So that's kind of kind of cool. We have quite a different model to most people. So um, we've been funded for nearly 20 years. So we have a relationship where we sign over our IP and uh, we have since then been funded to the tune of something like $20 million okay. and many jobs as you see. And also the products that have got, been commercialised have been worked in in parallel. So their ability to get FDA approvals along the way, patents, engineering support has allowed us um, quite nervously uh, to work in parallel so that that product can be released in a timely fashion. So something like, um, we're talking two to three years as opposed to 17. They've used those uh, things that I found to generate those products for the market. So they see the market share. Um, the other really nice thing is um, it's a family owned company, mid-sized company. We have a lot of communication and contact. We uh, work with engineers. Um, so if I get into their offices, I'm like, you've got to search me on the way out because <laughs> I've found some temperature gauge or something. Um, so it's been a really, right. really profitable and where are they based? thing. So they're based in Switzerland, right. um, but they have an Australian uh, sister company here yes. now. And uh, the Australian company for the research won a Swiss Business Award Fantastic. Uh, here for their innovation. So your research has led to some products that they've released already on the market yes. and they are being used yeah. all around the world? Yes, or? they are. Fantastic. So they're available worldwide. Um, so, you know, we get to kind of touch every every person in the world in a way because mm. we all have to feed our babies. So when you talk about the passion of researchers, you know, we have this ability to translate into 
into the world. Fantastic. Yeah. So what are you working on now? More, more of the I same? can't tell you any oh. of that. So <laughs> um, actually, we, we are working. So it's not just about uh, products, tangible products that you think about. Um, a lot of women struggle to make enough milk for their babies with the amount of metabolic disease and obesity. That actually affects milk synthesis. And I hate to say it, but we know a lot more about cows than we even know about women, our own species, and yet it's imperative we feed breast milk to our babies. So we're um, involved in cohort studies. We have collaborators with ARC. Um, nanotechnologists and also um, collaborators in Melbourne and we're looking for biomarkers where we can flag or tell a woman or, or identify women that are at high risk for mm. not being able to produce enough milk and that allows yeah. us to intervene quickly and see if we can get things up the first two weeks are critical or um, it gives us some confidence around the way we manage women and they you know, they really need to know what's going on. Unless, unless people are breastfeeding, uh, or more and more, what, what's the trend? Yeah, so in the 70s it was at its lowest point. Right. And then the Australian Breastfeeding Association uh, and the Leche League, it was driven from the mothers, and we got this incredible insurgence or upward trend of breastfeeding. Um, and we've hit something like a 95% initiation rate. So we have programs in place in hospital to really encourage kicking breastfeeding off. The problem is it rapidly declines in the first six weeks. Yep. If you've got children, they usually start yep. screaming a lot by then. So really we're looking at tests that help determine the mothers that are at risk yes. and programs or interventions that will support them through those times because we know that's when the drop-off is. So we only have, you know, out of a year, less than 1% of women are feeding their babies any breast milk and in any other organ that would be termed a failure. 1% um, after a year? Mm -hmm. right. So WHO recommends two years and beyond roughly, right. but that's, you know, depends on the mother and the baby. Um, yeah, so it, rather than feeding other fluids, breast milk is meant to be complementary um, Right, for that so you've still got a lot of work to do. That's Tons what fires you up. Tons of work to do, <laughs> see yes, yes. Thank you very much. Can we, can we give a big round of applause for Donna Geddes? Professor Steve Wilton, Foundational Chair in Molecular Therapeutics at Murdoch. Can we give him a big science on the swan? Welcome. My name is Steve Wilton. I'm the, for my sins, I'm the Director of the Parent Institute and also newly established Centre for Molecular Medicine out at Murdoch University. Um, I joined the Institute in 1991. I was involved working with Nigel Lang and developing genetic tests to, to diagnose uh, various diseases. Uh, in particular rapid testing for Duchenne muscular dystrophy to identify the problem in the families. Uh, while doing that I came across some unusual gene expression that might be used to, to rescue the gene expression. And so coming up with a really crazy idea of putting a second mistake in the gene, so two wrongs making it right, um, I started working with a long-time colleague uh, Sue Fletcher and we've developed a, a way of treating or slowing down muscular dystrophy. It's not a cure, but um, we've got one drug that's been given accelerated approval by the FDA, 
and working with a company uh, in Boston called Serapta Therapeutics. Mm. We're now trying to take that technology to other forms of muscular dystrophy and, and, and other diseases. And I want to get onto that in a sec, um, but I want to just quickly, could you tell us about the Perrin Institute? I was there at the launch a few months ago with uh, the governor. Uh, I think you spoke, yes? Was that, that was the, the, the centre? Or the centre? Yeah, oh, the centre. This, is, this yeah. is out at Murdoch. Yeah. What, what we're looking at doing is trying to... Um, Okay, I'll take a step back. The thing at the Australian Neuromuscular Research Institute, which is now called the Perrin uh, Institute, was, it was set up by Byron Kukulis. It was to bring clinicians and bench researchers like myself together. And under the same roof, you're having a coffee, discussing patients, uh, unusual cases. And it was a, a chance discussion with Byron that put me on the, the, the track of what's called exon skipping, uh, snipping out the bad bit of the, the gene message. Um, we're looking at setting the same thing up out at Murdoch. So with uh, people like uh, Merrily Needham, we'll be having clinics run out there, so specialist research clinics where the clinicians and the researchers work together very, very closely to try and develop treatments for a whole variety of different diseases. You've got about 60 researchers there in that one facility? In that it's, it's expanded. When yeah. Sue and I moved out there in 2013 from, from UWA to Murdoch, uh, I think we had eight people in the group. Yeah. Um, our group's now about 20 people. Um, and we've also expanded with the support from the Parent Institute. We've got uh, other researchers out there looking at Parkinson's disease, motor neuron disease, and, and working with other groups at Murdoch. So it really is sort of expanded. So let's talk about the Sarepta Therapeutics yeah. partner that you have. Can you tell us about that and what you've then uh, commercialised with them? What we, we did, we designed a, a genetic drug, well, actually a series of genetic drugs that um, treat or can treat this one form of muscular dystrophy. It's a very personalised, tailored um, treatment. And we were, this years ago, we were anguishing, do we publish or do we patent? And then we decided we would patent the, uh, the technology to stop other people from stopping us doing the research. It was a... When money becomes involved and there are commercial groups, other, other research groups involved and a lot of egos, it gets very nasty at times. Um, so we decided we would patent this and I really have to acknowledge Simon Hanford, uh, Office of Industry and Innovation. Yeah, giving us away from the audience. <laughs> this, is, um, this is a really good podcast moment. <laughs> um, and and with, with Simon's support, we actually had a patent and um, to show my commercial ignorance, activity. Um, I instructed Simon to give the patent away to GlaxoSmithKline. It right. was given to Glaxo. Okay. Because I, I had a colleague at um, Glaxo uh, who was head of genetics. He had done work in muscular dystrophy in the 70s. And um, he, he thought this idea had legs. And he told me, look, we'll fail this as fast as we can. And I said, perfect. You know, we don't want to go down a, a rabbit hole and waste our time. So fail it as fast as you can. Unfortunately, Alan left. Uh, Glaxo, in his opinion, were turning into a toothpaste company. Right, um, yes. Changing, <laughs> it was a change of CEO, change of direction. Alan went off and set up two of his own companies, which are, are doing very well. Um, we had to buy the patent back. Mm. And about three months later, Glaxo announced the deal with a company, a, a group in Europe. Uh, for 16 million euro, 
and um, they did those trials, kept the trials going until they were finally pulled because one, they didn't work, but they're associated with life-threatening side effects. Meanwhile, Simon had arranged to uh, license the technology to Seraptor Therapeutics. Those trials are still, being, are still going. We've got three different clinical trials at the moment. One drug's uh, Ateplicin has been given accelerated approval. Uh, the next drug, uh, Golodersin, is going to be in front of the FDA uh, to make a decision in August and Casimersin, another drug. These are all platform technologies, the same type of a, um, disease, the same type of technology, uh, and hopefully we'll have three drugs approved by the end of the year. How is drug development different from drug discovery? You've gone from one to the other, and you've, you've already told us some of the stories there. But the drug discovery, this is drug design. When we first started this, um, I mean, the first, I came up with the idea in 96, and it took a couple of years to get uh, material together to do the first experiments, and the first proof of concept was in 99. Um, we got something to work in a mouse, and then we've extended that technology to work in humans. Uh, and it has to be tailored to the, the different spelling errors in the, in the dystrophin gene. Um, so over the years, we've learnt how to modify or, or, or tailor the drug design, looking at different type of patches, different chemistries that make them more efficient. And this is where it's been uh, fantastic working with Seraptor and now extending that to a whole variety of different conditions. And you've got it now to human trials? The, the Ateplicin has been sold. Right, okay. Um, it's, at the moment, I think the sales are in the order of $300 million a year Right. in the US. It hasn't yeah. been approved in Europe yet. Uh, they're getting. Uh, they're trying to start trials in Australia um, and Brazil. Uh, at one stage, Sue and I visited Seraptor uh, a few years ago, and there were 30 people in the company. They were on their knees. This is before the approval. Mm. Uh, last count, I think th the company is now worth about nine billion dollars. Okay. Uh, and there are 800 people in the company. Right. So it's, it's been a bit of a turnaround. They're actually, it's, they've got one product they're selling at the moment, and that's ours. Um, but they're looking at developing a number of other platforms, gene replacement, gene therapy. So they're making a very, very dedicated uh, decision to focus on muscular diseases. It's been quite a journey, but also be a very successful one. What, what are some of the things you've learned along the way, or the things you wish you'd known earlier? Again, as you said, have fun. Yeah. To a point. Um, <laughs> you, it's, trust people. I've been burnt once, well, once or twice. Um, but that turned into my benefit because I was so upset that I was awake in the middle of the night, so I started calling people in the States and I made contact with Seraptor. Right. You know, we'd sent drugs off to other labs and then they're publishing it without even acknowledging us. Um, so... Yeah, you've learned not to deal with some people, whereas other people are fantastic to work with, and it's a, a really nice community. It can be a really good group of uh, mm. colleagues and collaborators. And you've managed to do it all from here. You haven't been Look, taken uh, away overseas to go and oh, do this? I've, or? I've had a few offers, but the trouble is uh, the lifestyle you can have in Perth is sensational. Um, yeah. I, I came back from a, a conference in Mumbai 
uh, the last no, the night before, just on Monday night. Yeah, one of the things we have uh, Australians. You're talking about Australians being uh, innovative in that, but I mean it's something we we can do in Western Australia is be even more. Okay, we are very isolated, but use that isolation to our benefits. I mean, we've got all five universities within 20 minutes of each other. And in the, uh, the Sarich Neuroscience Building on the QE2 side, all five universities are represented under the same roof. So this is a fantastic melting pot for, for ideas. I think it's a great place to end. Can we thank Professor Steve Wilton? Thanks, Thanks Professor. I hope you enjoyed that bonus episode. Don't forget to subscribe to Startup West so you can hear all our podcasts coming to you on our podcast feed. We usually release a new episode every second Wednesday, so keep on the lookout for that. And a bonus episode like this every now and again we throw into your feed. We'd love to hear from you. We have a Twitter account set up and running at Startup West Oz, that's A-U-S on the end. And do leave us a nice review on the Apple Podcast Store because that helps other people find us. Startup West is produced by Startup News and brought to you by our kind sponsors, Curtin University, BDO, Rays, and Spacecubed. See you next time.